The following message was preached at Flint Hill Baptist Church. We would love for you to join us on Sundays for life groups and worship, or on Wednesdays for adult Bible study, kids, and youth activities. For more information, visit flinthill.net. Amen. And what a, what a beautiful hymn, is it not? Just a simple truth. If you want to be happy in the Lord, trust and obey. Uh, that really is the foundation of worship, uh, is our obedience to the Lord. Moses learned that as he worshiped the Lord. God called him uh, to lead the nation of Israel. Uh, and it was out of his obedience that he became to experience the Lord in ways that he never knew he could. And really, the, the opportunity is for us today as well. That's not my message. I'm just, uh, I'm just caught up in the moment. Trust and obey. It really is simple. It's quite simple. Maybe, one, maybe challenging at, at best. Certainly requires us to daily trust and obey. <clears throat> you can't live on yesterday's obedience or trust or your personal walk with the Lord um, you know, to walk with him, to talk with him is a daily cultivating of that personal, intimate walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. I was asked many weeks ago, how long am I going to be in Revelation? And as any good preacher, I said, I don't know. <laughs> Not sure. But, uh, but we started in Revelation 1 with a vision that God, God called uh, John, the Apostle John, and, and, and began to open up. And then the, we got through the seven churches there. In chapters 2 and 3, and now in chapters 4 and 5, the Lord opens up uh, a window or a door into heaven. And John is called up to get a glimpse of what's about to take place, and he begins to see in heaven uh, in that capacity. Let, let me hold on just for a moment. I just want to say this because I'll forget it, and I'm going to get on a roll, and I know Nathan may mention it. But look, if you're here today... And I, I, want to, I want to make sure we're clear on this. We are going to have Brother Morgan Bailey here on September the 17th, and he's going to preach in the service. But he's also doing a training. We're calling it evangelism training. It's really for anyone that, if you're in the house this morning, it's for you, for all of us, myself. Uh, and it really is a way to uh, uh, equip us on sharing the gospel through everyday conversations. That's the whole idea. And uh, some of y'all know Brother Morgan, and let, let me say this, because uh, he pastored at Canaan some years. Uh, this is for all of us and for any of your friends to come and join us. Now, I will say in your tear-off in the bulletin, we need to know how many of you are planning to come. So please take a moment uh, before the end of the service and tell us that you're coming and how many are coming with you. And if you would be so kind to provide some food. As you leave today, there's some sign-up sheets out there. If you've already signed up, you don't have to sign up again. It's just a one sign-up there as far as food. Okay, I want to make sure we're clear. Everybody clear on that? All right, excellent. Revelation chapter 4. I'm in this series, Continue, Revive Us, O God. Uh, if you've been with me for weeks now and the churches there in Revelation, uh, certainly most of those churches needed reviving. They needed to see clearly the Lord, and God presented to each of them messages, and not just for them, but for us even so today. Uh, we know that the scripture, every time it says, He who has an ear, let him hear. And what the Spirit says to the churches, meaning plural. That word for Ephesus was meant for all the churches in Asia Minor. And quite honestly, it's meant for us today. I can't help but to read God's word and, and ask about my own life personally right now. Or Flint Hill, the body of Christ, or even bigger than that, the body of Christ in this community. But make no mistake, the word is for us. I hope you know that and believe that. I certainly do. Uh, now, in Revelation chapter 4, we're going to get into 
uh, God calling or allowing uh, John to see into heaven. There's a lot going on in this chapter. Visually, I wish I had a picture I could throw up. I'm not sure if it would help you a whole lot. There's a lot happening in this chapter when he gets a glimpse into glory. But I, but I don't want us to miss the big points or the big purpose of this. In fact, next week will be Revelation chapter 5. Um, but he sees into heaven. There's some, there's some great things. And remember, in the backdrop of all of this is a persecuted church that needed great encouragement and great comfort. Uh, I've titled my message today, The Hymns of Heaven. Part 1. In chapter 4 and 5, you're going to find five hymns. I'm calling them hymns. Songs that were sung in heaven. Maybe it was one song in five verses. I'm not sure. You could certainly sing them individually. But you're also going to see from the beginning, it's just a few people singing up to the end of chapter 5 where it's a whole earth begins to sing. Certainly it grows uh, so anyway, Revelation chapter 4, what I want to do is I'm reading out of the NIV. If you want to follow along in your Bible, please do so. But let's just listen to the word of the Lord this morning. <clears throat> After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had heard first speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven, with someone sitting on it. And the one that sat there had the appearance of Jasper Carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder. Before the throne were seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne was what looked like a sea of glass or clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second like an ox, the third had a face of a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and covered with eyes all around, even under their wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, he who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down before him who sits on the throne and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns down before him and say, you are worthy, O Lord, our God. To receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Father, we just come before you in the precious name of Jesus Christ. God, would you let your word just speak to our hearts today? God, we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Over 500 times the Bible references heaven. Uh, most, uh, no, no doubt here in Revelation 4 and 5, we see some of the most clearest pictures of what heaven uh, is looked like. You know, you remember Paul was called up into what they call the third heaven. In their day, the first heaven would have been the atmosphere in which we live today. The second would have been that interplanetary or interstellar area where the galaxies are. To the very third, or the, it would have taken them to the throne room of heaven, to, in which John gets to see, gets a glimpse of. It was in this heaven which Christ ascended to the resurrection uh, after the resurrection and is seated at the right hand of God. 
At this point, at this vision, this becomes John's vision really pertaining to the rest of what we call the book of Revelation. So this vision of heaven, there's several things here. I'm going to walk through it. I'm just going to tell you, John MacArthur helps me. I don't know about you. Some of y'all might be scholars on the book of Revelation. Uh, it certainly is one of those. You remember that little survey I did? Uh, it's been a while. But anyway, I did a survey. One of the, one of the topics was Revelation, you know, teaching on that or preaching on it. So I'm going to do my best to preach on this passage of Scripture this morning. But there's some clear things that John sees. First is the throne of heaven. Uh, this was not a piece of furniture, but a symbol of God's sovereign rule and authority. That's all throughout Scripture. But it's located in heaven. Uh, it's it said that the throne was standing because God's rule is fixed, permanent, and unshakable. It's immovable, and it reveals to us that He is permanent, unchanging, and complete control of the universe. I, I just want to remind us here. The initial audience, the, the, the original audience of this letter that John would have written to, remember he's on the island of Patmos. He had been persecuted, history tells us, boiled in a, in a vat of wax. I mean, he, he should have died, but he didn't. So he's in this horrible persecuted state. The church is facing some of the most severe persecution up to this point that it's ever known. How important is it to remind his people that he's on his throne in heaven? That He is the ruler of the universe. Friend, it's not just your little life. I'm talking about all life and all places and everywhere. Even in the world. The worlds we don't even see. The galaxies. God created it and He sustains it all. How encouraging that is to the Christians there that are facing horrible persecution. Things taken from them left and right because of the cause of Christ. And yet God's reminding them, I am on my throne. And even in your world, you may not understand what is going on, but I have a plan and a purpose, and I will bring that into fulfillment at the appointed time. I mean, it just reminds the Christians there. So I just, I hope that's encouraging to you. Not just talking about the second coming of Christ and the end of days, but I'm just talking about our life personally. I can't help but to come back to that. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes my life feels a little crazy or chaotic or things are out of place and out of sorts, but... In this moment, God's reminding His church, I am on my throne. I am the creator and sustainer. Nothing, nothing, nothing in this world will ever shake, move, change me from what I do. To God be the glory. On the throne. So we see the throne for sure, but there's also one sitting on the throne. Um, and in this context, it gives the picture of one who's reigning on that throne. Uh, and, and now, the thought is not necessarily focused on the redemptive work of Christ on the throne, but yet he's on his throne, and the picture is that of judgment. That he is the one, yes, that brought redemption, but in this context, he's about to lay down judgment upon the world. And we're reminded of this. Now, the, the, the throne itself is like, uh, it's described here. It, it, and it says in my Bible, it says Jasper, it has an appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, or the word Sardius, if I'm saying that right, comes from Sardis. These are two stones that, that have come to the forefront of John's vision here. Jasper, very quite simply, is a brilliant, clear stone, probably that which resembles of a diamond. And much like a diamond reflects and is radiant and has all this incredible ability to, to take light and just... 
uh, push that out in the same way this throne, see, he envisions this throne in this way as well. Uh, and, and now the other stone is sardius or carnian. And this stone is fiery red, like a ruby. And, and in this context, I mean, we don't know for sure, but it seems to be expressing not just the beauty of God's glory, that radiance of the diamond, but it also symbolizes God's blazing wrath that is about to be poured out. On who? Sinful, rebellious world. I mean, it's clear, chapter 6 through 19, when you read that in the book of Revelation. So this symbolism is there for sure. Uh, it also may push a little further. Uh, th- those two stones were, were noted in the high priest's breastplate of the Jewish people, of the, of, of the high priest. One representing the firstborn Reuben and one lastborn Benjamin. And it may have some implication there, the Jewish people as well. But we also see some things that are around the throne. It talks about a rainbow resembling that of an emerald encircled the throne. The rainbow, beautiful picture, right? He, he, ta- he talks about it being an emerald. Most likely it was pictured in greenish color. I know we think of a rainbow in multicolors, but the dominant color was that of green, most likely, in that vision. But it symbolizes God's faithfulness and covenant and His uh, mercy and His grace. Rem- remember that when God gave us the rainbow originally, right, in the Scriptures? And so in this way, He's reminding God's people, I am faithful to my covenant. I, I will come. I'm going to rescue you. It's a, it's a picture here that God's going to redeem or pull His people and then the rapture out of that. That the tribulation and the judgment that comes won't be for His people. And it's a covenant of faithfulness. God's attributes always work in harmony. His wrath never operates out of His expense of His faithfulness. His judgments never undermine His promises. They work together. I know in our mind that we, it's hard for us to pull those things together. Uh, so, so not only does he see that, but now we got these 24 other thrones that encircle that main throne. Uh, so what are, what, what's going on here? Uh, it talks about that these are elders sitting on the 24 thrones that reign with Christ. Some people have speculated these are angels that are, that are encircling the throne. Uh, but I would say to you that MacArthur, many commentators would suggest that that is not true at all. In fact, it's a reference to the redeemed, to the people of God, to the church. Why? Nowhere in Scripture do angels sit on throne. Nowhere in the Bible. Nor are they pictured as ruling or reigning, which is pictured here in, uh, in heaven. They're always ministering spirits. The church, on the other hand, is, is repeatedly over and over again as reigning with Christ. Co-heirs, joint heirs with Christ, even in that context. Uh, even though angels do appear in white, uh, he talks about that the, these 24 elders were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head. Uh, even though when we see angels in the Bible, they're clothed in white. Nowhere does it say that, uh, uh, let me back up, the, the, the believers are referenced multiple times as garments as dressed in white. We see this at the church at Sardis earlier in the letter where he says, I want you to be clothed in white garments. It's a picture of God's purity and God's salvation for his redeemed. The elders also wore golden crowns on their head, evidence that they were humans. Crowns were never promised to angels in Scripture, nor angels even wearing them. This crown is called the victor's crown in the Scriptures. It's one that would have been attained after winning some achievement. Uh, most likely those Olympic Games would have come into play in some of this. 
And it's promised, if you remember in, in, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, to the church at Smyrna. He says, look, be faithful to death, and I will give you the crown of life. Only the redeemed, only those that are born again, wear this crown and reign with Christ. Now, again, in, this, in the Scripture, the 24 here number is not meant necessarily to be 24 people or 24 people. Some have taken this to mean 12 tribes of Israel and these 12 disciples or something like that. But I just want to remind you, and I, I, I tend to agree with MacArthur on this, that number 24 in Scripture speaks of completion or representation. In other words, the fullness therein. Let me remind you, in 1 Chronicles 24, there were 24 offices in the sanctuary, representing 24 courses of the Levitical priest. Uh, there was also 24 divisions of the singers. In other words, representing the totality of what was going on. Again, whoever they are, they represent a much larger group. And who is that? Very quite simply, it's the raptured, glorified, coronated church who sings the songs of redemption we'll get to next week in chapter 5. Now, from the throne, what's coming forth from it? I mean, you see it in your Bible. Um, that from the throne comes flashes of lightnings and rumblings and peals of thunder. Man, just in a dramatic scene, isn't it? I mean, I can only imagine being in there, being, being able to envision that in that moment. But he sees this coming forth. So what does this mean? What, what, why is there flashes of lightning and peals of thunder? It's associated throughout your, your Bible in Exodus 19 and Ezekiel 1 of God's presence. It is also, in Revelation 8, 5, uh, associated with God's judgment. So, so John is seeing the throne, but from the throne comes these flashes of lightning and pillars of thunder. And what he is envisioning and seeing is the judgment of God that's about to be unleashed. In fact, some would say he saw a preview of this divine wrath that's about to be poured out on the earth that you see from chapter 6 through 19 in the book of Revelation. But before the throne, there are seven lamps of fire. Now, the good news is they, they tell us, he says, um, there are seven lamps blazing and these are the seven spirits. We've already dealt with this earlier in, 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 the, in Revelation. The, the seven refers to the completeness, the fullness of the Spirit. I go back to Isaiah uh, where he talks about that the Holy Spirit has wisdom and understanding and counsel and strength and knowledge and reverence and deity. The fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now, I will say there's a little difference in the, in, in the fire that we see. The word there refers to torches that would have been used outside, not just some little candle you put in your house. And so some of this we can kind of glean, for, glean from John's vision of what he sees is these fiery torches. The, this fire that he sees is not just any kind of light, but it's an all-consuming, burning fire. Most likely a reference, what? To the judgment that's about to come upon sinful, rebellious mankind. And Holy Spirit is going to be the torch that brings it. It's interesting, the comforter for those who love Christ will be the consumer for those that reject Him. But now there's in and around the throne. I know you're amazed by this. There's four living creatures. It's not the first time in your Bible it talks about the four living creatures. There's other places in Ezekiel that talks about it as well. But they seem to be in and around or closest to the throne. It seems to be that when they, in their capacity, one of their, one of their purposes is to bring about worship. They were designed for that, no doubt. Uh, Ezekiel's description and that of Revelation 
could be that these four creatures, they're going to be used throughout the rest of Revelation, could be what you might call the divine war machine that's about to unleash this judgment upon the world. Um, Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 15 says that they're cherubim, seraphim. I mean, that's most likely what they were. In other words, they were certain type of angels that were uh, associated with God's holy power. The Bible says that they're full of eyes in front and behind, symbolizing what their awareness, alertness, the comprehensive knowledge. No, they're not like the Lord, but here's the deal. Nothing will escape their scrutiny. So we see this description of these of these four creatures, right? He says, that, uh, what is he talking about in the Bible? He says in the scriptures, one is like a lion, an ox, a face of a man, and a flying eagle. The lion represents uh, wild creatures, the calf domestic animals, the eagle flying creatures, and man, the pinnacle of his creation. Symbolically, the lion represents strength, the calf service, the man reason, and the eagle speed. It says with their wings... Right? All around, even under their wings, day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come. No doubt their purpose is to bring praise and honor and worship unto the Lord. We know from Isaiah, he saw this as well in the vision that he had in Isaiah chapter 6. He talks about these wings. He said they cover their faces because even these beings, created beings, cannot see God face to face. There's a sense of reverence before Him in worship. This says that they cover their feet because why? They knew that the place where they are is holy ground. There's a sign of humility. Worship is thus their privilege, calling, and permanent occupation. When we, when we look at this chapter, there's a lot going on here in the book of Revelation. Let me remind you. To the original hearers of this word, they were severely persecuted for their faith in Christ. We've already seen this beautiful description of what's going on. And it brings us down to the first hymn of this revelation in chapter 4, where these winged creatures keep saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And then not only that, as they continue to worship, all of a sudden you've got... You've got the, uh, the, the elders chiming in. You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Reminding us in the face of severe persecution, the church is being reminded that God not only is holy, but He is creator of all. In fact, I would, I would title this as the hymn of creation. When we see these two verses together, it declares... Eminently that God created all things and by His will they will be accomplished. Even though we may not understand from this side of heaven, we know that God has a plan and a purpose for our lives even so today. And the church in the first century would have been reminded of this. Hopefully encouraged, right? I mean, if you could be put in jail for preaching the gospel, doesn't it encourage us to, 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 to know that God has a plan and a purpose and He's with you? No matter what, that he foresaw this day coming long before it ever came to fruition. And you know what? He sees the next day coming and that return of Christ. He sees all. He knows all. He created all. And by the way, it speaks to the purpose of our lives here today. Oh, I can't say enough about this. Every person in here that knows Jesus Christ personally is your Lord and Savior, you got a plan. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. I'm going to keep preaching that until Jesus comes. 
There's no such thing as a, as a bystander when it comes to the gospel or the body of Christ. All of us are critical, interdependent upon one another and the work of God in our midst. The Holy Spirit of God, the Word of God. We are called together to honor the Lord, to worship the Lord, to serve the Lord. Friend, I, I just want to declare today, God has a plan. He is creator of all things. Good night. To God be the glory. Out of that, when we declare the hymn, this hymn of creation, they can't help but to what? Describe unto the Lord His overarching attribute, the holiness of God. Three times they repeat it. In, in one sense, they're saying fulfillment. They're saying we can't speak this enough. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Utterly, completely separate from me and you. We, we, our words fail us at this point. There's not a one of us in here that doesn't know impurity or sin or error or wrongdoing. Yet God is totally separate from us. He is not like me and you. He is pure. Totally separate from any evil. He is absolutely untainted by any wrongdoing. Samuel said it, or Hannah said it this way in 1 Samuel 2. He says, there's no one holy like the Lord, to God be the glory. Habakkuk, praise God. Why? Because his eyes are too pure to approve evil. He cannot look on wickedness with favor. The psalmist declared, God alone sits on his holy throne. Holy and awesome is the name. First Peter says, God himself declared this, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Make no mistake. God's word to the persecuted church there in the first century not only brought encouragement, but hope. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see the Lord. Friend, listen, you don't get pure by your own merit. Good night. No, please hear me. Please don't leave this place like that. It is only through the finished work of Christ, His death and resurrection, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But to a church that's severely persecuted, blessed be the name of the Lord. Holiness of God reminds them how desperately they are in need of Him. And it also reminds us of His standard. Of His expectations for His people who are called by His name. The holiness of God. Anyway, all right. Not only that, but in this little hymn, this little song, it talks about the Lord God Almighty. It talks about the power of God. Almighty was a title identified. He, he spoke it long ago to, in Genesis 17 to Abraham. It identifies God as the strongest, most powerful, utterly devoid of any weakness, whose conquering power and overpowering strength none can oppose. Good night. How encouraging that would be to a church that's persecuted, to a church that's struggling, to a church that is enduring great hostility because of the gospel. And they're reminded, not only is God holy, God created everything, knows all, sees all. But man, God's power is not dependent on our circumstances. He is able. Is that not true, church? Good night. He is able. I'm going to go ahead and share Ephesians 3.20. He's able to do more than you could ever ask or imagine. That'll mess you up. Is He not able to reach down out of heaven and save that... Dear friend of yours, is he not able to restore and renew and reclaim? And Absolutely. It is because of the power of God the church there in the first century was able to stand firm and continue to preach the gospel and share the good news. To look for ways to minister to others even though they faced great hostility. It was great encouragement. Friend, I hope it is for you today. I hope 
Friend, I don't know about you, but the older I get, the weaker I get. I know some of y'all know I got my little ankles thing on. I know y'all are thinking I'm sporting my tennis shoes with my new clothes up here. Paula, Paula likes it a little bit. I can't wear the mother shoes with the brace on. That's what it is. The older I get, the more difficult it is to do some things. I don't have the stamina that I used to. I don't, my strength is failing. The truth is I'm recognizing that every single day. But let me tell I'm just going to declare to you as, as a preacher of the gospel, God is all-powerful. His strength is never depleted. Every moment of every day to God be the glory. You can trust in Him, rely upon Him, and look to Him. Not only does it talk about God Almighty, but He also talks about the eternity of God. They begin to sing a song of holiness, yes, of God's power, but also of God's eternity, who was and is and is to come. Uh, you know, in, in, this, in this reality here, he's extolling him uh, uh, who lives forever and ever. Now, now, we understand that God is an eternal God. He transcends time. He doesn't have a beginning nor an end. And to God be the glory. It is only based on that that he can promise eternal life. He can promise because He is eternal. He enables us to enjoy life everlasting forever and ever and ever because He is forever and ever and ever. His glory continues on. Now again, I just, I'm coming back to the first century. When we declare and praise God for being eternal... We recognize, even though I may experience suffering and struggles in this moment, in this place like the church was, we understand this is not all there is to life. To God be the glory. Now, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, you might be messed up at this point. But friend, I want you to understand that heaven is real. Eternity is real. Real is that little thing I'm banging on right here. That hurt my knuckles. It hurt hanging so hard. Heaven is real. Eternity is real. Jesus is real. I mean, I know for some people, they think, that, I mean, not you, but I mean, they think, man, that's just a bunch of hoorah. That's my word. They think it's a bunch of hoorah at times. But I'm telling you, he's real. He's real. He's real. To a church that's persecuted, to God be the glory. There's, there's more to life than what's happening right now. That there will come a day, oh my goodness, that we will walk with him and talk with him forever and ever. Hallelujah. Thank you. I appreciate that cry. I know. So this song declares to God's people who He is in this moment. My little head You know what's interesting in this in this chapter. I don't want to miss out on this because I, I call it the hymns of heaven. You know, one thing we're going to be doing in heaven. Please hear me. We're going to be singing and worshiping the one true living God. Uh, there are times my heart isn't quite ready to stop worshiping. I know we have a window of time on Sunday mornings. There's moments I want to keep on worshiping. I want to sing unto the Lord. I hope God does put a song in your heart. I hope worship isn't just meant for Sunday morning at 10.30 to 11.30, but it's a way of life. To God be the glory. Sing praises unto the Lord. I will tell you this, the one thing you will be doing in heaven is worship. Some of y'all are saying, well, Pastor, I don't really sing very well. It doesn't really matter. I mean, I... That's, it doesn't matter. Now, some of y'all sing really well. Praise the Lord. Y'all need to sing louder. That'll help the rest of us. 
But all of us, all of God's children will worship forever and ever and ever. Can I just share with you, on this side of heaven, true worship humbles us before the one true living God and enables us to lay down our lives for His glory. You know what, what, what God is reminding the church here in the first century? Man, get your eyes off of this and get your eyes on me. Because the true worship, true worship of the one true living God enables me to lay down my life for His glory. Yes, there's comfort. Yes, there's encouragement. But please hear me. There's a resolve in the heart of God's people when they worship the one true living God to lay down their lives for His glory. God, we sing it. Wherever you lead, I'll go. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. I'll do whatever you ask me to do, Lord Jesus. That only comes from a heart that worships Him first and foremost. Let's pray. Father, we just want to praise You this morning. Father, as we come to this service close, Father, I'm asking, Lord Jesus, that You would get our heart's attention. I know we're diving into a book called Revelation chapter 4, and there's a lot going on with the vision of heaven, and heaven is real, and I believe that, and You are one true living God. And, but in the context of that, Father, there's a lot of worship going on, a declaration that You are God over all. Creator of the heavens and the earth. Creator of us personally. Right here, right now. I can only imagine being there in the first century. The encouragement that was infused in the hearts of God's people when they resonated with that song. Maybe even sang that song in the first century. As they faced great hostility and persecution, they sang, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. all-powerful, never-ending. Praise the Lord. No wonder those elders fell down and laid their crowns down before you. How can we hold on to our stuff and worship you, Lord? God, forgive us. God, forgive us. God, in this moment, I just pray, God, get our attention. Here we are 2,100 years later. We're still awaiting your return, Father. God, would you infuse in our hearts encouragement, passion, courage, a fortitude, a mindset that will say, I'm going to I'm going to worship the one true living God no matter what, no matter where. God, the truth is that right now, right here in this community in which we live, there are people that need to see Christians that love you. First and foremost, Father, have your way. I'm, I'm just asking you, Lord, right here, right now. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning, church. We're going to sing a song. I want you to respond. If you, if you need to come forward to this altar, you come. If you need to join this church and praise the Lord, you come. Make a profession of faith in Christ, you do it. But let's worship the Lord. You respond.